There's just some exciting stuff to share uh, that I, f- I felt like this morning, um, just sharing with you that the, as I usually study the scriptures, it's like it's like mining for rock. You want to hit rock, and I felt like this this week I I was hitting and looking for rock, and I hit gold. Like the scriptures are always gold, but from my broken analogy, like I feel like I struck something that is um, that just. I don't know, it shook me, and so hopefully it shakes all of us into a beautiful awakening of what happened. So we're in Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 is what we're reading. We're going through the series on Colossians, and if you're picking up for the first time and hanging out with us, Colossians is a book in the New Testament, uh, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church. It's a church that Paul didn't start, Epaphras started, but Paul's just writing a letter, like an email to a church saying, hey, I I heard these things, and I want to update you, I want to encourage you, I want to teach you. So Paul's just writing a letter to a church uh, in modern day Turkey 2,000 years ago. And thankfully, because of God's word, we get to have it and see it today because it's God breathed. So we've been working through that, seeing how Paul is making everything about Jesus. Like last week, we looked at how Paul said everything is about Jesus and you can't supplement the gospel with anything. That the gospel doesn't need to be completed with outside sources. The gospel doesn't need to be enhanced by worldly philosophy or your rule keeping. Jesus and the gospel is sufficient for everything you need for this life. And so Paul's making this case over and over again in this book. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're unfamiliar with who he is. He is making the claim that this Jesus is all you need. He is God, fully God, fully man. He's everything you need to live this life, to flourish, and to be a godly person. And so we pick up in chapter 3. He continues talking. And I want to frame our our time with a question, a really simple question. What really happened to me in the gospel, and how does it change my relationship with sin or to sin? Put it in me so you can read that yourself and say, what happened? What happened to us? What happened to me in the gospel? I want to know this morning what really happened to me in the gospel, in the work, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And how does it change my relationship to sin? If you've if you're been around this church for a while, you should probably know, if you're a Christian, you should know that Jesus died and resurrected. And that is the center, uh, the climax of our faith, the climax of history. But something happened in that moment that affects your life uh, that for the longest time I have known, but I didn't know how it broke down in this way. And so I'm excited to share a, a, a specific way that the gospel affects your relationship with sin. And maybe you're coming in this morning like you're defeated because you're struggling with sin and you can't shake it. Maybe you're coming in this morning like I'm just I'm discouraged because I can't get over this struggle. I can't move past this thing. Maybe you're coming in this morning feeling like, man, I struggle to believe if I even am saved because I mess around with this. Why do I keep going back to this lifestyle? Why do I keep making this decision? And hopefully by the end of today's message, there will be some clarity, not just on who you are, and what happened, but how to live in the world in regards to sin. And I just want to make this disclaimer. I really want you to lean in this morning. Like not saying that you don't lean in in other weeks, but I'm saying like just lean in. Uh, because this is not what you think. I'm, I'm afraid that the, familiar, the familiarity of the gospel, I know it, I know he died, I know he resurrected. And we can just like, I can project what Chris is going to say. I can already know the, the points. I know that Jesus died. And I just want to, as best I can 
prepare your heart to lean in because I really believe, and I don't say this often, that this truth, if you believe it and you practice it, really has the uh, possibility of changing everything in regards to how you see yourself and how you see your life in relation to sin. That's a lot of pressure on me, but thankfully it's not my it's not my word, it's God's word, and so I can put the pressure on him to do that. And so with that said, with that disclaimer, I just want to pray again that the Lord would get all the distractions out of the way because I believe something can something is going to happen in your heart as you receive this. Father, we are we're hungry and we're here because we are not there's other things to do on Sunday morning, like sleeping in and brunch and sports. We're here because we're hungry. We're here because we want something that we can't get anywhere else. And so, Lord, would you meet us? We know you're here. Would you meet us? Would you speak to us? Open our eyes, God. Do something supernatural in our our belief system, in our thinking, in our beliefs, in our hearts, in our convictions, in our lives. Do something supernatural. So we, we say it often, but I really mean it, Lord. We need you to, to make us different than when we came. And we believe your spirit can and your word can. You delight in changing your people. And so would you do so this morning. Open our eyes to see the wonders of your word. If you want to hear from God, would you just take a second in your own words and would you just Posture yourself before the Lord. Pray in a very simple way. Just say in your heart or out loud, God, would you speak to me and change my perspective? We want that, Lord. We believe you're going to do that. In Jesus' name. If you want to hear from God, would you say amen with me? Amen, amen. I believe he's going to do it. The outline is really simple, just twofold that we're going to work through. Uh, one section I want to unpack through Colossians, and really not through Colossians, but we'll get there in a second. What happened to us? Something happened to us in the gospel that I want to unpack. And then once we understand that, we can move to how to live in response to that. That is the structure in, in Colossians. That's usually the structure all over Paul's letters. He explains what happened to you, and then he explains how to live in light of what happened to you. You got to know the gospel never says, the gospel of Jesus never says do something. It always says respond to something that's already been done. And so today's no different. Paul explains in this verse, and we'll read it again, something that happened to you and then a way to live in response to that. So let's read it again. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. Read that with me. One, two, three. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ from God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Basically, that's the last time we're going to walk in Colossians. You're going to say goodbye to Colossians because we're going to take a roadmap somewhere else in the scriptures. That's why I, I think I was strike looking for rock and I struck gold. Is This led me somewhere else. And I want to take this as a jumping pad and a launching pad onto something. And what Paul says here, that you've been raised with Christ, you've died with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ. Those things affect your daily, moment-by-moment life in regards to this world and in regards to sin. 
you've got to understand, as Paul talks about the gospel, what Jesus did, that the gospel isn't just something that Jesus did for you, though it is. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, is also something that, that has happened to you. Does that make sense? That Jesus didn't just do something for you. In doing something for you, he also did something to you. And I just wonder how, in my own life, to lead with transparency, how often I walk around sometimes uh, in and out of spurts of feeling like I'm not a Christian, not because I don't believe in Jesus, but I don't see the power that I think has ha- that should have happened to me because, hey, I, this huge monumental thing happened. Jesus died for me, and I th- also think, yeah, he did it for me. But how often are we thinking he did something to me? He changed the deepest part of who I am. That is what Paul is saying in this. He says this. He says three things. One, you died with Jesus. You died with Jesus. So often we think about projecting our our vision onto what Jesus accomplished. But Paul was trying to get us to see in the beginning that what Jesus went through, his death resurrection, is what you went through. Faith and union in Jesus means that whatever Jesus, whatever happened to Jesus, by faith happened to you. Such a stark contrast from thinking this is something that just Jesus did. You died with Jesus, Paul is saying. Your life is now in Jesus, and you were raised with Jesus. When Jesus died and stopped breathing and was buried, Paul is saying you died and stopped breathing and was buried. When Jesus resurrected, Paul is saying you resurrected. And now as Jesus is raised and seated at the right hand of God, Paul says you are now raised in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. This isn't something that was just done for you. It's something that has been done to you. But what does that mean? Jesus died for us, and we died in Jesus. But what does that mean? I want that to land on our hearts. I want it to land on my heart so I understand what it means to how I relate to the everyday stuff of life. And this is where we are going to take a turn into Romans and spend our rest of our time there. Same author, he's writing to a church, same thing. But what Paul does in Colossians, he also does in Romans. And he explains it, I think, in a, a more um, just clear way for us to understand. He explains what happens when Jesus died and what happens to you when Jesus died. Romans 6. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage. Paul says this. this Let's read it together if you would. Use your vocal cords that God gave you on three. One, two, three. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Wow. goes on to say, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Oh, my gosh. I had such a hard time writing this because I felt like my mind was just like blowing up every time I read a verse. You know, like when you put new glasses on and you can see things clear. Or you know like when you, someone tells you like, yeah, that, that red Honda Civic. I want to, who wants a Honda Civic? Come on. Okay, that red Tesla. I'm so outdated. I'm not cool. That red Tesla. 
and you like, you, your eye is fixated on the red Tesla, and so you start driving on the highway, and what happens? You somehow, miraculously, see a whole bunch of red Teslas. Why? Not because there's a whole bunch of red Teslas now more on the street, but because your eyes are trained to see it. I can't tell you. The way that I now see the scriptures, as I think, forever has been changed. I feel like I, I saw something in this text, not feel, I did, and now I see everything way more clear. And that's my hope for us this morning as we unpack this. Paul says a lot of stuff in this passage that's powerful. Talking about our death, united with him. He says our old selves were dead. Our old self was crucified with him. What does that mean? That we were able to be now free from sin. You got to understand the old you in Jesus, and maybe you're not a believer. This, this prescribes your reality right now if you don't have faith in Jesus. That the old you, the man before Jesus, the woman before Jesus, was a slave to sin. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He explains it very clearly. You were, before Jesus, a slave to sin. Now, I got to say this. This is really important. That doesn't mean that you didn't do any good. And it doesn't mean that people on the outside of the Christian faith can't do any good. Being a slave to sin means that you answer to a certain master. When I say that people are outside of Jesus and are sinful, it doesn't mean that they're 100% sinful and can't do anything good. Because the Imago Deism, the image of God is in them still. And so people are outside of the faith but can still do beautiful things. Why? Because God made them in their image. Sin has just distorted that. And sin has called them to be a slave under his rule, their rule and reign. And so when you're a slave to sin, what that means is you don't have the freedom to choose whom to serve. A slave doesn't have any freedom to choose whom to serve. They have to serve its master. So every time before Jesus, sin called, you had to answer. Sin was the greatest influence in your life before Jesus. Sin was seating, was sitting on the seat of your affections. Sin was ruling your desires. Sin was calling the shots. Yes, you could probably do a lot of beautiful and good things, but you were ruled and controlled by your desires being served into the desires of sin. You were under sin's power and sin's control. And that doesn't even mean that you can't like break addiction. See, this helps clarify what it means to live outside of Christ. It doesn't mean you can't break addictions. The person who isn't a Christian can break an addiction. That shouldn't surprise us and rock our faith. Whoa, does that mean that I'm not a Christian or does that mean that they're really a Christian? No, it just means that they can stop doing something. It doesn't mean that they're still not a slave to sin because sin is still controlling and influencing their life overall. Before Jesus, we were all slaves to sin. We had to say yes to its pull and influence. But the gospel says this, that Jesus didn't just improve your old life. He put to death your old life. Christianity is not a message that says Jesus makes you better. It says Jesus makes you new. Jesus didn't just take the old you and do some sprinkling of fairy dust and make you a little bit better person. Jesus put to death the old you and raised a new you to life. And it's hard to understand that because practically we feel like what? The old us. Well, Chris, that's great, but I still feel like the old me. And we're going to get to that. But you got to first understand that Jesus has put to death the old man, the old woman. Being dead to sin equals the freedom to say no to sin. 
He says, you crucify with Christ so you know, or you're no longer slaves to sin. You can now, being dead to sin means I had the freedom to say no when sin calls. Before, you had to say yes to it. Now, you are, the chains are broken. The dead person, the old Jew who were in, shackled to sin is now free. That person is gone. So now, the chains are broken. And now, when sin calls, you have the ability, the capacity, the desire, and the power to say no when it calls you. That's what it means to be dead to sin. That when sin calls you up, it says, yo, Roger, I got this great thing you can do. You can say, I'm dead to you. It sounds funny, but how often does sin come into my life, come into your life, and you're like, yep. And we walk right into it, not realizing who you are in Jesus. You got to realize you are dead. The old you that said yes to sin is no longer there. You are a new person. You can no longer have the perspective that you're going to be defeated. You are a new person. You have the power to say no, Jesus is saying. I'm about to preach. You have the power to say no. And sometimes we, de- we, we need to demystify this. This means, this means maybe as simple as just realizing who you are in Jesus. Actually taking your mind and saying, no, 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 I'm dead to sin. How much? I think we think that's not spiritual, so we don't do that. But let me tell you, that's very spiritual to really believe and walk into the identity that's been purchased for you. So Jesus says, I am actually saving you and make you a new person. And you walk into that next day saying, I'm a new person. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. But you see what's going to happen? If you think nothing changed and you're the old person, you're going to do the old stuff. When you are serving sin so long, you are used to saying yes to him. That even though the chains are broken, oftentimes when sin calls, you think, this is what I did all my life. This is what I'm going to do all my life. And you walk right back into it. Just because you walk right back into it doesn't mean, though, that it has chains on you. Jesus broke the chains. And he rose you to new life, which means now you have the ability to obey God. That's the difference between Jesus saving someone and and someone not saved. It's not just the ability to say no to sin, but actually the plus, the ability to say yes to God. Be used by God. Desire God's ways. Desire righteousness. Actually say, I want to be, Paul says, to be a slave to righteousness in in the best way. You are now saying, I'm going to be controlled by righteous living and not by sinful ways. That's what happened to you. you. The power of sin has been broken. You literally died in Jesus. And if you're going to believe and profess Christianity, the gospel, that Jesus literally died, stopped breathing, was buried in robes, then you need to have the perspective to your old life. Your old life died, stopped breathing, and was buried. So stop living like it, Paul says. But how? How do you live in response to this new life then? If I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God, Paul says, then how do we work this out? Back to Colossians for a second. He goes on to say this. This is how you live this new life out now that you're dead to sin. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. You've been dead to sin. Now you got to start actively putting to death the sinful earthly things within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Here's a question that you might 
be asking, and I'm asking. Okay. Jesus freed me from sin. I'm dead to sin. The question we need to be asking, why do we have to put sin to death when we have already died to sin in Jesus? This is where everything hinges on. Why do I have to? You're struggling. You ask this without even asking this. Why do I have to put sin to death when I've died to Jesus? If I'm really, and this is the, if you understand this, it's going to change how you see yourself in Jesus. If you said, I am actually dead to sin, then why do I have to keep on fighting it? Don't I have just power automatically to conquer it? Don't I have power to, to say no to it every time? So that's why we start questioning our Christianity and our salvation because we think, man, as a Christian, there's no way I could be sinning like this. But Paul never makes the claim that as a Christian, you don't sin. Paul says, though you are dead to sin, sin is not dead to you. You know what happened in the, in the cross of Jesus. Paul says, you have been dead have made dead to sin. No longer have to respond. Dead people don't respond. You don't have to respond to sin. But sin is still alive and active, yes or yes. You're dead to sin, but sin is not dead to you. Though you have power over it, you will still deal with its presence. You have to understand that reality. You might have power over sin. You do have power over sin, but you will deal with this presence still. That's a normative part of living a life that's following Jesus, that you are going to deal with it. And so Paul says this is how to deal with it. Put sin to death. He says in Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This word consider is way more powerful than just we would realize. I would, if you have a Bible or take a notes, write this down and look it up. That word consider means you have to reckon. You have to do the math and be convicted of and make this a new reality. Paul's saying, you can't just believe it happened to you. You got to consider yourselves. You got to say, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the catcher. Here's what switched the lights for me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions. You're dead to sin and alive to God. Okay, I know that. I can say no to sin. I can say yes to God. But here's what he says. Therefore, because of that reality, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions. What does that mean? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Whenever you're studying the Bible, it's a good tip just to ask a lot of questions. And how I got to this reality I'm going to share is just by asking, what in the world does it mean that sin, don't let it reign in me? What in the world does it mean, mortal body? What does it mean? And it led me down a path. And I want to, I want to read this. It's a long quote. And we're going to unpack it. Oh, man, I just lost a page. It's okay, it's on the book. Um, this is a long quote from an old preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This whole book right here is just written on Romans 6. Like this one chapter in the Bible is a whole book. He has 14 editions written just on Romans. He preached through them for years. And what he says here, I, I just have never realized. So let's read through this. He's explaining what it looks like to not let sin reign in your body. This is going to help a lot of us. The greatest truth, the greatest truth we can ever be told is that our old self has gone. I can deal with my old nature only as I realize that my old self has gone and that I have a new self. 
This is the most striking and amazing truth. The problem of my old nature, get this, becomes much easier once I realize that my old self has gone. My old self has gone. My old self, that self that was an Adam, that was an utter slave to sin, that self is gone. I have a new self. I'm a new man. We know that. Okay, goes on to say. The moment I realize that I'm a new man, I'm in a better position to deal with this old nature that remains in my body. So important. In what Paul calls my mortal flesh, the mortal body. We shall find the apostle saying in Romans 7.20, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If you're familiar with the Bible, Romans 7 is very controversial because a lot of people think that what Paul is saying in that chapter, in that section, is like pre-Christian. He's not a Christian because Christians don't struggle with sin like Paul is talking about. What the doctor says is that he's saying, the apostle says, it's no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells in me. Isn't that not a marvelous thing to be able to say? I am not doing this or that. It is this sin that remains in my members that does so. That is the most liberating thing you have ever heard. Tell us, doctor. Next, next slide. That is apostle's assertion. This, he says, is the way of salvation. Can't you realize, he says, that yourself, your old self has gone. Never think of yourself in those terms again. Here it is. I find that many, Christians, many Christian people are unhappy because every time they fall into sin, they raise again the whole question as to whether they are Christians at all. This is the error Paul nails here. He says, you must not do that. You must not raise again the whole question of your salvation every time you sin. You yourself as a being and as a person in the sight of God are in Christ. You are joined to Christ indissolubly. It means you can't destroy it. You can't destroy your union with Jesus, he says. And there is nothing, Paul says, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The difference this teaching makes is this. That if I grasp truly when I fall into sin, I shall not ask again, am I a Christian or not? Of course I'm a Christian. My old man has been crucified. I'm a new man in Christ. Listen to what he says next. What then about sin? That's the question. Up to this point, you've probably understood what he said. Okay, I get it. I'm still a Christian, and if I struggle in sin, that's not really me. That's the old self. But what is he saying? What about sin then? Do we just write it off and keep on sinning? Why then do I sin? Why then do I, who am dead to sin, keep on sinning? That's what I want to answer this morning. Because sin is in my members. Because this body of sin remains. Catch this. Sin is not in me, my inner being. But sin remains in my body. Paul says that sin, while we are left in this mortal body, will always be seeking to dominate our body and to dominate us through our body. Sin turns the natural instinct of the body into lusts. What is the doctor saying? He says, though you are no longer a slave to sin, you still live in a body that is susceptible to sin. Your body, he says, is the place where sin looks to influence and operate. I've always wondered, yeah, maybe I still have a sinful heart. No, that's false. The Bible, in the New Covenant says, you have been given what? A new heart. A heart of what? Flesh. Okay, so that's not it. My, mind, my heart is not the problem. So what is it then? The heart is the center of your being. What's the issue? You can go to the next, next don't, don't laugh at me, but you can go to this next slide. The old self, I said don't laugh at me. The old self Sin ruled in your heart. You were a sinful person. You were a sinner. Made in God's image, but sin ruled in your heart. That was who you were. You said yes to it. It had the greatest influence on your life. But now, 
Paul says. In Christ, Jesus has given you a new heart. And this is what you have to understand. This is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you understand that? You don't even live anymore. Jesus is living in your inner being. Jesus, that's your life. You might feel like you're struggling with sin because you're still in a sinful body. But who you are at the utmost part of inner being is in Christ. You are a new creation. You're not an old creation waiting to be made new. You're a new creation in a body of flesh. That's why Paul says so much to get rid of this body. It's why Paul says later on, who's going to deliver me from this sinful body? But thank God Jesus will eventually deliver me from this body. And now sin is not reigning and ruling because Jesus lives in you and is trying to work out of you. But sin's on the outside trying to attack you. And what does he do to attack you? He operates and influences you through your body through your mind, through your tongue, through your eyes, through your hands, through your sexual organs, through every part of your body, sin is trying to come in and take influence there. And Paul says in Romans 12, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say present your souls. Why? Because your soul's already to God. He doesn't say present your, present your heart as a living sacrifice. Why? Because your heart's been made into Jesus. He says present your bodies because that's the thing that's not in submission to Jesus. <sighs> that is just beautiful. That's encouraging. It's not me that's sinning. It's I don't want to cuss sin who's taking advantage of my body that's not made new. And that's why Paul says when we get to heaven, we have new bodies. Let me tell you, the new bodies isn't just so you can have a new body so you don't like get sick. It's so sin doesn't have dwelling in you. Sin is not attacking you anymore. Sin can't do anything anymore. You've been made new and the spirit has been put in you as a guarantee that one day your whole body is going to be changed into a new creation. Your whole body is going to be changed new creation. Your soul and your heart is made in the image of Jesus and now recreated, but you, your body is playing catch-up until the day that Jesus comes back. Hallelujah. This is not bad news. This is good news. Christian, it's not you who are sinning. You are in a sinful body. It doesn't mean you don't take responsibility for your sin. It means you realize who you are, realizing that it's not me Realizing that I have a war. Paul says there's a war waging in my members. It's not me. In my inner being, Paul says in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God. But in my members, in my body, there's a war waging. And I have to fight it. I have to fight it. So how do we fight and kill sin? If, if, if it's Jesus who's living in me and working himself, his life outside, from the inside out, then how do I fight this sin who's trying to attack me and wage war through the members, the parts of my body? Paul says this. He explains it. So breathtaking. Romans 6. It's supposed to be 6, 12 to 13. Therefore, do not let sin, he says it again, reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Don't let sin. It's not reigning anymore, but don't let it reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. What do you do? Do not go on presenting the parts of your body as instruments of evil to serve sin. Now that makes sense. Don't let it rain in your mortal body. Why? Because it's not. But don't go back to the old life. Don't go back to the old slavery. Don't go back. And how do we not go back? By not offering our body parts to sin saying use this. 
I have another example. It's probably even cheesier, but go with me. This is a tray. And this is your eyes. This is uh, your mind, your hands, your legs, your tongue. You have a choice, Paul is saying. When he says don't present it, it means don't place near or at someone's disposal. You have a choice now to say, here's my body, here's my mind, here's my hungers, here's my fears, here's my emotions, here's my, here's my tongue, here's my eyes. And I have the choice every day. You have the choice every day to say, here's my, the members of my body, my faculties of my body. Here you go, sin. You can have it. You can, you can have your way. Here you go. I'm going to put my body parts right before you so you can use at your disposal. Or now because you're a new person in Christ, you can now say, I'm going to have my, my eyes and my mind and my tongue. Here, God, you can use it for your glory. See the difference? You now, before, you cannot, you could not walk away and say, no, I'm going to use it for God. You couldn't. You had to offer your body parts to sin. You had your mind. was given over your 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 tongue your you gossip and your eyes lust all these things sin used but now he says you're a new person you have new desires you have freedom and now you can present your your members of your body to be used by God why because the inner part of who you are has already been made new you're a new person but you still got to deal with the body of flesh your body can be a conduit for sin or for God it's a vessel. The body is neutral, but it could be used either way depending on what you give it over to, what you put before it. Your eyes are neutral. In light of who you are, don't allow any part of you to be used as a tool for sin, Paul is saying. In light of the new reality, new identity, don't let your eyes be used by sin. Don't let your tongue be used by sin. Don't place your tongue near a circumstance, in a circumstance where it's going to cause you to be uh, used by sin. Don't put your eyes before something that's going to be, uh, cause your eyes to be used by sin. Paul says sin will distort what you give it. Sin will distort what you give it. So you have eyes that are neutral. But sin will use your eyes for lust if you give it over. We think, we, we over-spiritualize this. No, no, you are a new creation. So if you turn on that show that has sexual content, don't be surprised when you want to go sin. Why? Because you're not a Christian? No, because you just gave your freedom over to sin. You just gave the eyes that now have been taken back to you to use, be used by God, and you give it over to sin. But you have the choice. You have the ability to say, I'm not going to put my eyes in front of things that can be used by sin. I'm going to put my eyes in front of things that can be used by God. Sin will use your rest for apathy, your eyes for lust, your hunger for gluttony, and your tongue for gossip. It will if you let it. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means that you're a Christian that is presenting your members to sin. And Paul says you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. What you, your body, what Jesus is trying to do in your body is transform you. But you won't be fully transformed until he returns. So you have a war to engage in. Are you going to put the things of your body, your mind, in front of content that's going to drag you into sinful patterns? Or are you going to put your mind in front of content that will make your mind strong and rejoice and at peace?
But Chris, that's so practical. Yeah, you know why it's practical? Because Jesus did the real spiritual work at the cross. This, it's not like it's not spiritual. It's very spiritual. But Jesus did the spiritual work. He crucified your old life, has resin, resurrected you into a new person. The hard work has been done. Now he's saying, would you just operate by my spirit and stop playing with fire? Would you stop presenting yourself near fire? Because Paul says, or the, the proverb says, if you get near to fire, what, what's going to happen? It's going to burn you. Oh, but I'm stronger. If I, don't, if I could watch this show without, no, you can't. Oh, but I can go to her house that late? No, you can't. Oh, but I can go to that restaurant? No, you might not be able to. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian or a weak Christian. It means that you have a body that's, full of, uh, that's made of flesh and that sin is still powerful. You're dead to it, but it's not dead to you. So if you cross the enemy lines and say, here I am, it will use you. So what Paul's saying, don't cross the enemy lines. Don't go into that area where you're going to be influenced, but stay on the side being used by God. And that's why Paul says you will not be able to effectively kill sin if you aren't actively living for God. The gospel isn't just about what we resist, it's what we pursue. Resisting is just morality. Pursuing is holiness. It's not just about what you say no to, it's about what you say yes to. And in fact, what you say yes to is the strength that gives you your no. And so it's not just saying, I'm not going to go into enemy lines and give my mind and my hands over to the things of sin. I'm going to. That's, then what are you going to do? Stay in the middle? No, you're going to give your mind and your heart to God to be used by him. That's why Paul continues to say, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He brings in the new reality again. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and all the parts of your body to God as instruments for righteousness. Think about a trumpet. If I give it to, if I give a trumpet to Spencer, he's going to play it and it's going to sound horrible. If I give a trumpet to someone who mastered trump, uh, trumpet, it's going to sound beautiful. Is that the trumpet's fault that it sounds bad or sounds beautiful? No, no, no. It's who you give the trumpet to that decides how it sounds. And he's saying, if you want your eyes to see the glory of God, if you want your tongue to confess the praises, if you want your hands to get busy serving the Lord, then give it to God who can use it for its intended purposes. And it's going to look and sound beautiful. Or you can give your eyes and your tongue and your hands to sin and it will be distorted. You choose who you give the instruments of your body to. You choose. Are you active? How are you active in using your mind and your eyes and your hands and your tongue to serve God in righteousness? Because if you're not active in using your body to serve the Lord, the drift of this world will pull you back into being used by sin. Not because you're a slave, but because you have to be continually pursuing the things of the Lord. And you have the desire to and the ability to now. Because you've been crucified with Christ. You need to say to yourself, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus who is living in me. You can take that to the bank. Or you can say that's a cute little analogy. Some of us are living like that's a cute little analogy, and it's not. You don't live. Jesus lives in you. How will that change the way you give your members two things? When you realize Jesus is living in me.
I can't imagine a better way to see how I'm supposed to relate to sin than to realize that sin can take advantage of my body, but I'm a new creation, and I have the power to say no, and I can use my body to serve God. And I hope as you dwell on that, as it sits down deeper in your soul, that you would have a rest, number one, that says, I don't have to doubt my salvation. I have been, if I believe in Jesus, I've been crucified. And just as much as he was dead, my whole life is dead. And you would stop wasting time questioning the thing that Jesus paid to resurrect. And you would start putting your time towards using the things that God has given you over to him. I can put my mind in front of the content that's going to be distorted. Or I can put my mind in front of the scriptures that will fill me with life so my mind can direct and guide me. And you might be saying, well, Chris, I'm not, I'm not really struggling. I'm not watching pornography. I'm not like stealing from the bank. And so I don't really deal with sin. Okay, but what are you putting your mind and eyes in front of? It might, just, it, it might not be sinful, but it's de- certainly not something that's godly. And so what's going to happen? Because you're not presenting your members to the things of God, you will naturally start presenting your members to the things of sin because sin is all around you. It's powerful. Satan wants to influence you. You're at a war. And if you're not on the offense, you're going to be running. God wants you to be on the offense saying, I'm free so I can obey. I'm free so I can use my tongue to bless. Number one, just a summary of what Paul is saying. Number one, he says, you are dead to sin, no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. You're a new person, dead to sin. You don't have to answer its call. You need to probably rehearse that as much as anything else you rehearse every day. I am no longer a slave to sin, and I can say no to you. Don't go back into the master's house. You don't have to. Number two, you are a new creation in a body of flesh. And this isn't to give you permission to sin, but to give you some grace to understand why you're at war. It's not a license to sin, but it certainly is a comfort to know why you keep on struggling with sin. Because until Jesus resurrects your bodies, you're going to be at war with it. And it's going to be seeking to come into your life. But you can say no. Number three, your body can be used as a tool for sin or for God. And lastly, you kill sin as you give yourself over to God. You kill sin as you give yourself over to God. I don't know about you. I want to live a life that glorifies Jesus. I don't want to waste my time sinning. I I can't, this world can't afford Christians who are giving their members over to the things of sin. This world needs Christians who are actively giving their whole body as a living sacrifice to God every day, saying, God, use my mind, use my hands, use my tongue, use my ears. Would you bow your heads with me?